You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, Happy New Year again. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 3. Top 10 New Year's resolutions of 2018. I don't think they're going to shock you today. Number one was to improve fitness. Number two, eat better. Three, quit smoking. Four, quit drinking. Five, learn something new. Six, travel more. Seven, volunteer. Eight, meet someone. My favorite. Nine, sleep more. Ten, get out of debt. (laughs) Uh, Every year it begins with these resolutions. Every year it begins with this expectation in our life that something is going to change. We're going we're gonna to make ourselves better. It's just part of our American culture, I guess. But I wonder what motivates us to, to really make a resolution like this. What motivates us to actually want to inspire change in ourselves? And I think a lot of times it kind of boils down to, you know, we're, we're envious a lot of times. And envy kind of motivates that. I mean, you look at the guy at work and you think, man, wish I was in shape like that guy. Or you see somebody and you see their marriage and you think, wow, man, I wish our marriage looked like that or, or, or was as good as that. We, we want to move into a different house or have nicer stuff, but we can't because we're in debt. And we're thinking, man, if I could just get out of debt, then I could maybe have some nicer things. We come to church and we're like, man, I would love to be more spiritual and, and kind of get my act together spiritually like that guy or that girl. And, and uh, we, we, we see that and we think, man, I wish I could have that as well. And I think if we were honest, we all get a little envious of people from time to time and what they have. And we tend to want things that we don't have. And when we tend to think is that if we get those things, then we're going to be happy. But our quest for something new can elude us. And when it does, we've got this empty feeling, this feeling that we don't measure up. And even though we want to pay off debt, even though we want to get in shape, even though we want to grow spiritually, that feeling that we don't measure up just tends to grow in our heart. We can get to a place where we feel like we're never going to make any progress at all. We make New Year's resolutions, but we deep down know we're not going to do them. just makes us feel better by actually saying it out loud or telling our spouse or, you know, writing it down on paper. Then we start thinking that, well, other people are in shape because they have a different body makeup, right? They have a different DNA, and so it's easier for them to be in shape and easier for them because of of, of their body. We, we, We look at other people and think, well, man, the reason why they're not in debt is because, well, they make more money, and obviously it's easier for them. Other people are closer to God because, well, they've got more time than I do. I just don't have that much time. And those excuses begin to build up, and it helps us honestly feel better about ourselves. They make you feel like there are other things that are happening that you have to deal with, that nobody else has to deal with. You're unique and special with these difficulties, and those difficulties give you the right to be out of shape, to be in debt, and to not grow spiritually and the list goes on and on and on. It's called a victim mentality. And we, we live with this victim mentality that things are against us. And because things are against us in a unique way and it's easier for all you people, it's harder for me. If we allow that mentality to grow in our life, if we don't deal with that mentality, 
you will never finish what God wants you to accomplish in your life. And I'm just going to assume today that everybody here wants to finish what God wants you to do in 2019. Here's the good news. The good news is this. Where you finish in life isn't determined by where you start. It's actually determined by whether or not you get started at all. Let me say that again. Where you finish in life isn't determined by where you start. It's determined by whether or not you actually get started. In other words, where you start in life doesn't matter today. Where you are right now, what you came from, what you experienced in 2018, maybe for some of you, you grew up with a rough background. Maybe you grew up poor, your parents weren't around, you had several setbacks, you've dealt with a lot of problems, a lot of loss in your life. The good news is that your past only has power over you if you let it. Your future won't be determined by where you started or where you start, but it will be determined by whether or not you decide to start right here, right now, today, and begin to do the things that God wants you to do in 2019. At some point, no matter where you're at today, if you want to grow, if you want to fulfill the plan that God has for you, if you want to experience the blessing and favor of God in your life in 2019, you have to determine to get started. You've got to determine to take the necessary steps to follow his plan. And let's not worry about what you're husband needs to do. Let's not worry about what your parents need to do or what so-and-so needs to do. And if they would get their act together, then it would be easier for you to get your act together. Don't play that game. What we want to do is we want to evaluate and think about our life today. I want to think about my life. You think about your life. Let's not, let's not set the table for anybody else and what anybody else has to do because you can only control your actions. You can't control anybody else's. And so we've got to understand that if we're going to accomplish what God wants us to experience and to fulfill, it's got to start right here. At Thanksgiving, it's, it's kind of an excuse because there's always a ton of food, and, and January is right around the corner, so it's really easy for us to say, hey, look, the diet starts in January, so bring on the turkey and gravy, right? And then Christmas rolls around, and it's all this kind of good food and good desserts and all this kind of stuff. And in our mind, it's a free pass because, well, January's coming. And when January gets here, then we're going we're gonna to handle our business, right? Well, bad news is it's January, everybody. <laughs> in our family, we like to play this game. It's like you know, in January hits, after we've been using all those excuses, uh, we, you know, we're gathered for a big meal. Maybe it's a big pizza. And so we're like, you know, enjoying all this, you know, unhealthy food. And, and then at the end, uh, we think and we say out loud, it's a joke. We say, okay, starting now, right? And then we go back and get a couple more slices. And then we look around and we say, starting now. And then we go get some ice cream and brownies, and then after that we say, okay, starting now, you know, and just constantly do that, and it kind of makes us feel better about ourselves. We kind of laugh it off, but I think it, some of you can probably relate to that. It's always this, you know, I'm going to start after this one, and I'm going to start in January. No, I'm at February, and then it's constantly when, when the timing is better. Have you played that game or used that excuse? Timing isn't good right now. 
I got to wait till the kids get out of here. How can you work on your marriage with all these kids and all these problems? I mean, come on. They're, they're so demanding. We, we got to wait till they're out, then we can focus. We can't really worry about debt right now. We can't. Well, there's too much going on. Once we get a better job, once I get a raise, once we get this situated, then we're going to handle this problem. And the issue, though, with that game is that there's no such thing as perfect timing. You realize that. There's no such thing as the perfect time to get in shape or the perfect time to take care of your health or the perfect time to grow spiritually or to think about spiritual things. There is no such thing as perfect timing. We can't wait around. We can't blame our past. We can't blame our DNA. We can't blame our spouse. But if we want to be faithful to God, if we want to experience the favor and blessing of Jesus, you've got to determine to start right here right now and begin a journey that God will bless and use to change you and mold you and bless you in ways in 2019 that you never dreamed about. And so this series that we start today is called Start Here because no matter where you're at, no matter what's happened in your life, what God wants to do in your life starts right here. It starts with your willingness to trust and follow him and can't wait any longer You can't wait on perfect timing. It starts right now in the present. College students, listen to me. It's not when you get out of college and then you're gonna think about spiritual things and then you're you're gonna get all of your life together. No, 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 no. It starts right here, right now. Don't waste your life. And so I wanna look at John chapter three to start with. And uh, today we wanna think about it. That's the title of the message. We wanna think about our life. So we're going to do some evaluation today, and you're going to have some homework, and you and your family are going to have to do some homework that I think is going to unpack a lot of great conversation and encourage you and think about where you are in fact out. Next week, we're going to, the title is called Own It, because we, we, we've got to own our life. We've got to own our attitude, and so we'll talk about that week two. Week three, we're going to talk about planning it. We need a plan and a strategy to actually accomplish the things that we feel like God wants us to do. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. And then finally, we're going to handle it uh, because adversity is going to come. And when problems hit you um, and when problems come your way, you've got to be able to handle that adversity and continue to plow through to accomplish the things that God wants you to accomplish. And so in chapter 3 of John, Jesus meets a guy by the name of Nicodemus, and this is probably going to be a familiar story to many of you, but I think I wanted to start here because if we are going to experience the blessing of God, it really must start with understanding what the concept of being born again actually looks like. And so we're going to dive in. Verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, And so just pause for a second here. That means that he was most likely on what was called the Sanhedrin. This was a very uh, high-level group of uh, religious leaders, uh, probably very wealthy. Uh, They had, you know, experience. They had clout. They were looked upon as very successful men in their community. And so as a religious leader, as someone who was looked at as successful and, and had his stuff together, he comes to Jesus with this question, and he says this. He came to Jesus by night, verse 2, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is he talking about here? I mean, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, look, I know you're doing some really awesome things, some really cool things. I mean, obviously, you couldn't do those things if God wasn't with you. And so just wanted to, you know, start the conversation out like that. And Jesus kind of interjects and he gives his, you know, truly, truly kind of statement, which just simply means, hey, 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 you got to listen to this. Don't miss what I'm about to tell you. He cuts right to the chase. He gets right to the point and says, unless you're born again, you're not going to experience the kingdom of God. Now, why would Jesus like jump from, hey, man, you're really doing some great things. Unless you're born again, you're not going to experience the kingdom of God. Why does he jump so quickly to that point? And I would suggest the reason, maybe the, the, the main reason, is that Jesus understands that the most critical and the most important thing that you will ever think about is your salvation. The most important thing that you will ever spend time thinking about and dealing with is whether or not you are actually going to enter the kingdom of God. The question of being born again just kind of blew Nicodemus' mind. I mean, he's sitting there and he's like, how in the world can anybody be born again? Am I going to go back to my mother's room? This is really weird, Jesus. This guy's really crazy. He's like, no, 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 no. This isn't about a physical rebirth. This is about a spiritual rebirth rebirth. And so what is Jesus doing right now in this moment with them? It's something that I think every single one of us have to experience as well, and it's this. Nicodemus is being challenged to think differently about God. Jesus wants him to think differently about the kingdom of of God. He wants him to think differently about salvation. He wants him to think differently about heaven. He wants him to think differently about who God is. And, And so there are many of you here today, starting in 2019, that need to be experiencing this challenge, which is you need to start thinking differently about who God is. You gotta begin to wrestle with this. You've gotta change the way that you think about God because the more you're, you, you think about God, the, the more you understand who God is as the spirit of God uh, uncovers through the word of God who God is and, and that level of, of, of knowledge grows and you begin to apply that to your life and you begin to, to live that out. The more you experience that, the more you do that, the more your thoughts change about who God is. And the more your thoughts change about God, the more your life will change and the more joy you'll experience in life. See, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you've got to change the way you're thinking about God. He's got to change the way he's thinking about the new birth. And here's a reality check for all of us here today. Like, what you think about God what you think about Jesus is going to determine your life. It's going to determine the way that you live your life. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And what he's saying here is when we are born again, When we experience faith in Jesus, we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection to forgive us of our sins, and and we, we surrender our life to him. He saves us. The gift of the Holy Spirit now comes to live within within our soul. 
And so he calls our bodies a temple, which inside this temple is dwelling the living spirit of God. That's an incredible concept, isn't it? It's powerful. So the power of the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And, and he says, look, I want you to realize that the Spirit is living in you. And he says, you receive this from God and you're not your own. He says, you were bought at a price. In other words, on the cross, Jesus is purchasing your salvation. He is, he is buying your life so that my life is not my own. My body is not my own. He bought me. And so he says, therefore, honor God with that body. So here's the reality. If you think your life belongs to you, if you think your body belongs to you, if you think your life belongs to you, if you think your talents belong to you, if you think your spouse belongs to you, your kids belong to you, here's the reality. God owns everything. You own nothing. I own nothing. I don't own my body because he bought it. I don't own my next breath because he's the one that gives it to me. I, I, I don't own my kids because he's the one that created them. Like everything about life, who I am, what, what I'm going to do today, every single day of my life, everything that I think I have bought or that I have accumulated as material possessions, it all belongs to God. My body, my mind, my life, my future, everything belongs to God. And if you don't think in terms of, of God owning everything, my, my health, because he's in control of my health, everything, then, then my life begins to take on a selfish bent. Because if I own my life and I own my business and I own my marriage and I own my finances, then I tend to make decisions based upon what serves me. But when you get to the reality and you begin to think of God as the giver of life, the owner of life, the giver of all good gifts, and that he has given me these talents, he has given me my health, he has given me these abilities, and one day I'm going to stand before him and he's going to say, what did you do with all that stuff, Trent? How, how did you use all that to, to bless other people? and to help build the kingdom of God. He's gonna hold me accountable to all of these gifts and, and talents that he's given to me and to you as well. And if that's the reality, now if I'm thinking about God in terms of ownership, now I'm seeing that my life needs to begin to change and my decisions need to be, begin to, to shift in a different way. See, Nicodemus had to change the way he thought about God. Some of you have to change the way that you're thinking about God. Nicodemus had religion. He needed a relationship. Some of you are there as well. Nicodemus comes as a Pharisee, very intellectual. He knew the Old Testament scripture. He knew the Old Testament law. He had all that stuff figured out. But what he didn't understand, what he didn't see, is that Jesus was the promised Messiah. At this point, he didn't. I believe there's evidence that he does come to faith uh, in the Gospel of John. But at this point, he hasn't, he hasn't reached that point. He had religion. And some of you, that's what you're experiencing. You're just simply experiencing religion. Religion says I can get in good with God by doing a few good things here and there. Religion says that we can, we can get a little bit of good in our life just by kind of doing some good things. That's a religious idea. Religion says that I, I've got to give up a part of my life. I've got to give up this habit. I better do this or that. I better not do that anymore. I better do more of this. That's all religion. The second birth is I'm committing my entire life to Jesus. Religion is I got to try harder. 
Being born again is trusting Jesus and living in a relationship with him. It's being made new. So it's not just a fresh start. It's not just renewal. It's something spiritual that happens in our lives. It's a point in our life where we are completely transformed. It's a brand new spiritual birth. And that's what Jesus is saying, that if you want the kingdom of God, if you want to one day live in heaven, if you want to experience salvation, he's not saying you gotta say a prayer, or you gotta be baptized, or you gotta you know, pick up religion. What he is saying is that you and I have to be spiritually transformed. And that's a work only done by the Spirit of God. We receive that gift by faith. And this is where some of you are at today. In order for you to start right here, it starts with understanding that you perhaps have never experienced this spiritual transformation. You've done religion from time to time. You've showed up in church. You're what we would call an almost Christian. You know a little bit about spiritual living. Like Nicodemus, you have religion down because you've kind of grown up in and through the church or your grandmother or mother, they were spiritual. And so you know a lot of stories. You know a lot of lessons. You know a lot of good moral teaching. But all you have is religion. You do not have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus would say, if you want to experience the kingdom of heaven, you need to experience a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual transformation. Some of you need to start right here. Some of you have religion. Some of you have a religious life, but you have no power in your life. There's no no gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's no wonder you're not accomplishing anything spiritual in your life because all you're doing is trying in your own power. If you're trying in your own power to get out of debt, I can tell you it's going to be very challenging. If you're trying to fix your marriage in your own power, I can tell you that is almost impossible. If you're trying in your own power to do these things, it's not going to, you're not going to experience the growth that you're hoping for. What you need is the gift of the Holy Spirit now working within you to transform your marriage. Now that happens every day. The gift of the Holy Spirit in your life that transforms how you handle your resources and how you look at your body and health, that transforms everything and then begins to give you that motivation and why, behind why you would get up early and work on your health or why you would say no to material possessions so that you could honor God with your wealth. All these things happen first and foremost when the Spirit of God is transformed, has transformed your life. And so for some of you deciding to walk with Jesus, Deciding to seek Jesus, deciding to, to, to give and surrender your life to Jesus is where you've got to start. You've got to start right there with a spiritual transformation. Others of you, maybe you've experienced the rebirth, you've experienced a, a, a faith in Christ, but you're a liar. And you lie all the time. And you're like, man, that's kind of hardcore. You don't, you don't know me like that, Trent. I'm not saying you're lying to other people about stuff. I'm saying you're lying to yourself about stuff. You're you're committing one of the most dangerous sins, and I do this to myself all the time. I'm right there with you. One of the most dangerous sins that we could ever experience, and that's self-deception. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. You've experienced a new birth, but you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself And the reason why you're not accomplishing some of these things that you know that you should accomplish 
And the reason why your, your feet are kind of stuck in the mud and you're not growing, you're not experiencing the favor and blessing of God is because you just keep lying to yourself. You just keep deceiving yourself. And so let's take a look at this. Here's how we overcome this. In verse one of chapter six, Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any kind of sin, you who are, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, here it is, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But, lest, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Self-deception, one of the most dangerous sins that we could commit. He says it specifically in verse three, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The reason why self-deception is so wrong and so devastating is because it's rooted in pride. It's the sin of pride that, that caused Satan to fall from heaven. It's the sin of pride that gets rooted in our heart, that keeps us from so many blessings from God and from growing spiritually. And, and, and the issue here is that he's speaking to these early Christians. They were Jews. Many of them were Jewish. Now they've come to faith in Christ. So this Jewish Christian group living by the Old Testament laws, now they've come to faith in Jesus. They've also experienced a lot of Gentiles, a Gentile, somebody who's not a Jew, and so they, they come to faith in Jesus. So here's all these, all these you know, worldly pagans, don't know anything about religion, who come to faith, and they're going to the, the same church here in the city of Galatia that all of these religious people who know all about Moses and Abraham, and so there's a lot of tension. And all these people who were Jewish come into this crowd, and they're thinking, we're so holy. We're so much better than you guys bunch of pagans running around here. We know who Abraham is. We've got it all figured out spiritually. And because of that pride in their life, they did not bear the burdens and they did not serve all of these young Christians that were now in this new church. And I think, man, how often has that happened in our life? We come into the new year and we think that we're something that we're not. We allow pride to grow in our heart. We think that our schedule is too important. What our kids are doing is way more important than what your measly little children are involved in. We're talking D1 here, bro. We're talking scholarships. We're talking potential profession, okay? We're, that's just where we're at, right? And because of your holy schedule and because of your amazing kids and your amazing life and your amazing job and all these huge things that you've got going on. You don't have any time to serve God's people. You don't have any time to serve God's church. You don't have any time to serve the people in this community. Oh, we don't deal with that, do we? <laughs> so for us, we've got to stop lying to ourselves. You say, how do I know if I'm lying to myself? Well, this is a tricky one because you can't just ask yourself, self, am I lying to myself? <laughs> <clears throat> because you have an issue. <laughs> You're already lying. You're just going to continue to lie. And so what do we do? Well, we've got we've to bring some people into our life. 
We've got to listen to what we're saying. We've got to look at a pattern in our life. And so that's why we've got to think about it today. We've got to evaluate our life. So the first thing I would say is one of the things that helps us identify if we're lying to ourselves is this. Do your actions match your announcements? You make this announcement, but then do your actions match that announcement? I'm going to get in shape. How many of you have lied to yourself about that one? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> we probably all lied to ourselves about that. I'm going to get it right this time, my health, and I'm going to do it. And then two weeks later, we're you know, back at Dunkin' Donuts. And so sometimes we lie to ourselves uh, about that. What, what about this one? I'm going to be a good Christian. I am a good Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm a mature Christian, Trent. Thank you very much. I've been in church my whole life. Man, I know the Bible. I'm, I'm a spiritual Christian. Your son comes up and says, Daddy, how do I give my life to Jesus? And you say, call Landon. <laughs> what, what we're announcing to the world is not quite matching, right, our behavior and our actions. And, and, and so a person that thinks they're spiritually mature, but they don't take their partnership with Foothills Church seriously. He's just like, oh, that's just something we did. It's not something I actually have to do, right? Do your announcements match your actions? Some of you are lying to yourself. You're not really a partner of our church. In an announcement, you made it. You made the announcement loud and clear, but you're not following up with that. For some people, I want to worship God with everything that I have. I want to worship God. I just love the music. I just love to worship. I'm just going to give it all to Jesus. And you think, well, when's the last time you read your Bible? Oh, I don't read my Bible. I just like to worship. <laughs> it was like, well, how do we worship when we don't know the word of God? I heard a quote from John MacArthur this week. He said, the heart can only go as high in worship as it can go deep in theology. I thought, man, that's, that's good stuff right there. You see, some of you are like, oh, you're scared of the word theology, but theology is just the study of the nature of God, the character of God. And so anytime you open up the Bible to understand the nature and character of God, you're doing theology. And so the more theology you and I can do, the more we can understand the character and nature of who God is. The deeper I go in my understanding of God, the deeper I, I, I can begin to think about who God is in, in a biblical sense. And only then can I truly worship. Only then do I get to a, a, a level and depth of worship that begins to transform my heart and life in powerful ways. For some of you, you're lying to yourself. That guy in your life, that lady in your life who's never wrong, you know that person? Don't elbow anybody. But if you're the person that's never wrong, you know, you're always defending yourself and, and everybody else is wrong, but you're never wrong, you might be potentially lying to yourself, pretending like you don't make any mistakes and, and that it's not your fault or it's, you, you don't play any part in that. If you go after things and you're constantly putting yourself out there and signing up for things and constantly taking on things in your life that you are not skilled in or equipped in because you're over-exaggerating your abilities, you might be lying to yourself. Oh, I can do it. I can take care of it. Yeah, I'll do it. But then you never deliver on it. You're lying to yourself. Yeah, I can lead that. Oh, yeah, I can do that. And then you've got all these plates that are spinning and you don't deliver on any of them. You're lying to yourself. You gotta be honest with what you're good at. You gotta be honest with what you're able to accomplish. Chances are, if you're constantly in debt, you're probably lying to yourself. If your marriage has not been happy in years, you're probably lying to yourself on multiple levels. If you're fighting with your parents constantly, you're probably lying to yourself on multiple levels. Self-deception is a very dangerous sin. We're really good at it. So what do we do? 
Well, he says here in verse 1, let's look at it again, because I think it's just so powerful. If anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. So what he is inviting us into is a relationship where there is someone in our life who is exposing our blind spots. Is there someone in your life who you have given permission to, to say, hey, I want you to expose the blind spots in my life? Because the, the, the pattern that we're being taught here is that those who are spiritually mature should restore the person in gentleness who is suffering from the consequences of sin. So he tells them to bear that burden. Bear that burden. In, in, in many churches, we don't like to bear the burden of someone who's experiencing sin. What we like to do is kick the person and punch the person and extort the person out of our life, right? I mean, that's typically what, you know, we see happening is someone has experienced a major setback, they've sinned, now they're experiencing the consequences, and what do we do? We criticize, we berate, you know, our pride causes us to think we're better than them, we don't want to be around them, you know, they should be fired, they should be kicked out, they should be this, they should be that, all these things that, but then we read the Bible and it says, no, 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 you're supposed to carry a brother's burden. You know what that means? You know what that looks like? If you've, got a, if you've got a brother who's committed a sin, it's not to bash him on Facebook and Twitter or to ignore him. It's to show up on his front porch and say, let's go have coffee and man, let, me, let me do what I can do to, to, to carry this burden with you. And, and, and sometimes that's just being relationships. Sometimes that's just hanging out. And, and, and that's prayer. And that's just loving on that person through that situation, right? And so he's, he's very clear here. In gentleness, we want to help restore this person. We want to give people uh, the, the ability in our life to say, hey, I need you as a spiritually mature person to, to help expose some of the blind spots in my life because I lie to myself all the time. And, and chances are many of you are lying to yourself about various things. It's why we don't accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. It's why our faith isn't growing. And so we need these, these wise people in our life helping us see these blind spots. And, and this is what Paul is saying. He's saying this group of, 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 of all these people who are so spiritual, their pride has kept them from actually carrying the burdens of all of these new Christians. And that's what I see happening in churches so often. Our pride of all these things that we have going on, our busy schedule, what we have to do, and we don't have the time to serve other people. Hop down to verse nine. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. In other words, we're gonna reap a harvest if we continue to serve and we continue to do good. If we do not give up, he says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And so to help us overcome this sin of pride and this sin of self-deception, we've got to serve other people. But the only way is that, that we can actually begin to serve other people in this way is if we look at verse 4, circle it, if we test our own work. If we don't have a moment of evaluation in our life where we look back and we say, okay, 2018, did I do anything well? Lord, did, did I accomplish the, the spiritual maturity that you wanted me to accomplish? Did my ministry, was my ministry effective? 
Is my leadership as a dad and a husband, maybe you're a business owner, was it effective? Did I help people experience the love of Jesus? Did I point people to Jesus? Was it effective? Like if we don't take a moment to test our own work, then we'll never come to a moment to where we say, man, I'm not really serving anybody. I'm not really carrying anybody's burdens. I'm just worried about my burden here. And as a result, we're going to miss every chance of growth and opportunity that God wants us to experience in 2019. We've got to overcome it. We've got to invite these folks into your life. Now, spiritually mature, so, so just a little caveat here. Spiritually mature doesn't mean your college roommate who himself spends 10 hours a day on Fortnite. Not that guy. Don't ask him for and, you know, exposure, your blind spots. You're not going to go to your, your, your buddy who, you know, to talk about marriage advice, who himself has experienced three or four divorces. Probably not the guy to go ask. You know, no offense if you've gone there. But I just, just, just saying at that point, you, you want a, a mature person spiritually helping you see those blind spots. And here's, here's the other thing. If you think you're the spiritually mature person and now you're like, yeah, I need to be that guy. I need to go expose some blind spots this afternoon. <laughs> if that person hasn't given you permission, then, then you're not that person in his life or her life, okay? So let's not go there. So, so first thing, we need people in our life to expose blind spots. Secondly, we need to fulfill the work that God has given to you. So verse five, he says this, and I'm going to go out of order. I'm going to go back to verse 4, and I hate doing that, but I think it makes sense for today. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load, his own work. So we're, we're called to bear our own work. Fulfill the work that God has given you. When we engage in this kind of self-evaluation, we now have an opportunity to renew our commitment to our God-given mission, our God-given purpose, the work that he has for you to do, your load, your work. God has given you a, a work to do in this church and in this city. God has given us together a vision. He's given us a direction as a church. You are gonna play a part in that, hopefully. You have a role to play. He calls us specifically to fulfill the work that God has given to each of us to accomplish. And then we're going to jump back to verse 14. We're going to go back to this idea of spending time evaluating our work. Test your own work. Test your own work. Test your own work. What do we have to do? We've got to evaluate our life. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that I want you to write down. Evaluate where you're at today. Evaluate where you're at today. This is what we have to spend some time doing this week. We've got to examine our actions. We've got to examine our ministries. We've got to examine our families. And we have to realize, okay, have we done what we have needed to do in order to become the man or the woman that God is calling us to be? We've got to start right here. And so where is here for you? Every single person in this room, when we say, okay, start here, here is going to be different for you. Every single person has a different here. But wherever that here is, you've got to start right there. You can't wait for the perfect timing. You can't wait for the perfect circumstances to make a change. You've got to begin that new habit now. You've got to begin to think about God differently now. Now is the time to get out of debt. Now is the time to heal your marriage. Now is the time to grow spiritually. Now is the time to start thinking eternally. Now is the time for you to give your life to Jesus right here, right now. 
Nicodemus had to change the way that he thought about God. He had to reevaluate his life. Paul tells us to test our work, have a moment of evaluation. And so, secondly here, we've got to determine who God wants us to be here. We've got to determine this calling. We've got to determine what this work is going to be. So what has God created you to do? What is this mission? What is this work? Right, this is what the journey, what we call our, our steps of growth here at Fiddles Church. This is what we try to help you do. Base camp is step one. Step two, camp two, we want you to experience what your purpose in life is. Pastor Todd is so passionate about this. He wants you to know what your mission in life is. And so as you begin to develop that, and as you begin to grow in that, you begin to accomplish and do and experience the blessing and favor of God. Listen, college students, let me just tell you, if you're waiting until you graduate, wrong idea, man. God's not waiting for you to become, I saw somebody, you know, tweet, I'm, I'm um, they're, they're a senior in college, and it was like, oh, I, I graduate in four months, I'm not ready to be an adult. You've been an adult for a long time, honey. Like, what are we teaching our college students if we think that we're not an adult until we get out of college? Listen, you're 13 years old. You're you're reaching the point of adulthood. You got to start acting like it. You got to start experiencing today what God wants, not one day I'm going to live like a hellion for the next few years, and then I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Well, that's a terrible plan. (laughs) You know how much pain and suffering is going to happen in that little time frame you just kind of circled right there? You, you, you want to know how many potential awesome spouses you're going to miss in that time frame? The blessings, the favor, and just the fact of just being obedient to God you're going to miss? We've got to determine what God wants us to experience. And so, so thirdly, I just would say we've got to decide to go. You've got to decide to go. Right now, in the present, not waiting for future stuff. Right now, you need perhaps a spiritual mentor in your life. You need to make a a decision that you are going to go. Now, we're going to talk about how one of the problems with our our goals is that we we go too large, too many, all at the same time. I'm going to get in shape, so therefore I'm going to go to the gym for three hours a day every day, and I'm going to work, and we hit every machine, and the next day we can't feel our body, you know, we're so, you know, messed up and in pain, and... We don't want to do that. We want to be smart about it. We're going to talk about what that looks like. And so here's how we're going to close. I want to encourage you. As a church, we're going to do this together. We need to create some space in our life. Because between school, work, kids, practice, all these different things that we've got, we've got so much going on that it's really difficult to hear from God. And so we've done this in the past, but as a church, I want to encourage every single one of you to join me, my staff, to a 21-day fast. And it's going to start next Sunday. So you've got all week to think about how and what you're going to fast. And so uh, if you go to our website, fiddleschurch.com, click on Start Here, you're going to see a few articles about fasting. You're going to see a few things that uh, resource-wise are going to help you in this. Um, But there are three different fasts that I want to encourage you to do. Number one, um, like a, a normal fast where you're going to say, I'm going I'm to fast for one, two, three days. I'm going to fast every Wednesday. I'm going to fast lunch every day. You're going to say no to food to create that space and time 
to be able to connect in a deeper way with Jesus. Um, some of you are going to go on what's called a partial fast, and so that would be like a Daniel fast. And so you're going to say no to a certain kind of food, no carbs for 21 days, or, or I'm going I'm to go, you know, only vegetables and whatever, you know. And so you can do some research on that and do some kind of partial fast. Maybe you'll no caffeine or whatever. Um, and, and, and so just to help your body detox from whatever uh, you, you've, you know, kind of built up in your body. Um, and then thirdly, what we call a cultural fast. And so a cultural fast is where you would say for those 21 days, you're not going to do any social media. You're not going to watch any TV, no Netflix, or something to that nature. And so something, something culturally, something, something media-wise that you're going to say no to for 21 days to create space so that you can connect to Jesus in a deeper way. And so you've got all week to think about it, but next Sunday it starts. We're going to have an online devotion, a Bible reading plan so that all of us are reading the same things. If you've got your own plan, go for it, whatever, but this is to supplement and to help those who may not. So we're going to dive into reading the Word of God. We're going to fast potentially from food. So we're going to fast from social media. The whole point is that we are going to carve some space in our life so that we can focus on Jesus. And so you got all week to think about it. Now, here's the second piece of homework. Okay, so on our website, there's an evaluation document, and the, and the document says evaluate, appreciate, and concentrate. So you're going to look at 2018. There are a few questions there. You're going to process those questions, write down your answers. Um, you're you're going to evaluate that. Then you're going to appreciate some things that God has done, and then you're going to concentrate on 2019, and there's a few questions to get you thinking uh, towards the future this year. So what I want to encourage you to do is to do that on your own and then get together with your wife, your husband, your kids, a, a friend, someone in your small group, and talk about what you came up with and talk about what, you, what you've done. I gave my kids this, this document this past week. They've been working on it. We're gonna get together tonight. We're gonna talk about it, uh, all of us. And I encourage you guys to do the same. Evaluate where you've been. You, you often hear people say, and I know we gotta wrap up. You often hear people say, you live and learn. Lie. You don't live and learn. The only things that you learn are those things that you evaluate. All the mistakes that you've made in 2018, the only reason why you would learn from those mistakes is if you evaluate them. And so I want to encourage you guys to do uh, this homework uh, as a family. And then thirdly, what we're going to do uh, over the next three weeks is I want you guys to come up with by, the, by week four and finish this series. This year, I will, and fill in the blank, and it's going to be perhaps one word, two words, one sentence, we're going to keep it short because, as I said, we're going to talk about narrowing our focus down, not in everything. We're going to change everything, but we're going to change the one thing in our life. And so you see that in the lobby today. You'll see it all over social media. We're going to encourage you guys to post that on social media as well, and uh, we'll talk more about it over the next few weeks. So you got a lot to think about. Man, it's like we're back in school. There's so much homework, but just think about it. If you actually go through with this, 2019 might be the greatest year of your life. Let's pray together. Father, we want to experience you in a deeper way this year. And uh, Lord, there are probably so many things that are just bouncing around in our heads. There might even be some people here that um, are thinking that they need to make a decision to trust you today. They've not experienced that, that rebirth. I want to ask God that they would go to our care and prayer room and you would lead them there and that they would make that decision. They would experience that salvation for the first time. For others, 
There's a lot of things going through our minds right now, things we want to change. And Lord, I, I pray that this week as we, as we evaluate, appreciate, and concentrate, that you'll begin to help that focus come uh, into clarity for us. That there's probably, I know from my own life, a million things I need to get right and change. Um, but there's one thing I, I, I'm, I'm certain, God, that, that you want me to work on, that you want me to deal with. And, and so help me to know what that one thing is. And, and I pray for everybody in our church that we would get to that point and, and that we would get to a point to where our pride and what we think is, is so awesome in our life wouldn't prevent us from serving others, but that we would bear one another's burdens that we would have people in our life exposing those blind spots and that we would be able to experience the power of the gospel in our life. Help us to test our own work. Help us to think about it today. Evaluate our life. And Lord, ultimately, we want to live a life that is completely 100% sold out to you in every area of our life. And so today, God, we just want to sing this. We want to hear this song and let it be our anthem through this series, God, that, that our life is yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.